0: Hi, I'm Susan, and this is Diane, and this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis, or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. You know that feeling when you meet someone and you're like, hey, did we just become best friends? Or when you see a medical mom, I don't know, out Target, like we all go anywhere right now, huh? <laughs> But let's pretend. Let's pretend you can go out to Target and you see a medical mom or you hear the beeping feed pump or you see someone who is lugging a whole lot of gear and pushing a wheelchair. And you see that person, you're like, hey, you're my people. Today was pretty much like that. I sat down with Meredith and we just kind of started talking and the conversation went in many different directions, some of which were not planned. It was just so good and so refreshing to sit down with somebody who is a complete stranger, find out you have things in common and find out that you're both completely rooting for each other and rooting for each other's children. I think that is part of what makes this community so magical. So today you're meeting Meredith and Meredith has four children, two of which have disabilities. Her 10-year-old has cerebral palsy and her one-year-old has Down syndrome. Meredith is in a military family so her story is very unique and they have been all over the place. So welcome Meredith and let's let's do this. Welcome to when autumn comes. This is so weird doing this without Diane here. I feel like I should have somebody sitting next to me, but today it is just me and our mom, Meredith. Hi, and Meredith is here. She, you know, it's really funny because when Meredith and I started talking, we have a lot in common, like mutual friends, mm-hmm. and we yes. both
1: went to what? What year did you graduate from? JMU? I graduated in 01. Okay, I was so. so it's it been a shocking. 20 years (laughs) since I graduated from JMU. 20 years. It's unreal. It's unreal that that's even possible. I feel that way still about high school too. Oh, How is that even possible? So now that it's college.
0: Well, somebody posted something the other day. It was like, friends don't let friends realize that the 80s were like 40 years ago. (laughs) Like, holy crap. (laughs) How is that possible?
1: (laughs) It doesn't seem unreal that I graduated 20 years ago. And that I also have a (laughs) one-year-old.
0: Do you ever sit and think like, I'm a mom? Yes. Forget the whole disabled child thing. Sometimes I think like, oh my gosh, like I have offspring.
1: (laughs) They are my people. I have this thought a lot of times in the middle of the night. I think that that's when it gets really strange. When you're sitting rocking a child or something Mm -hmm. And you just look around and go, is this really my life? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and you have really you have a happening? wide
0: range of ages in your house. Yeah. So you yeah. now are doing the whole little thing again. We're doing the little thing again. The little thing is a hard chapter to be in yes. sometimes. Yes. Yeah. So tell us about your children.
1: Well, um, we have a 12-year-old boy. We have an almost 11-year-old girl. Um, And she has cerebral palsy. Okay. We have a four-year-old boy. So there's a big age gap there. The first two came very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then there was a large age gap because of some pregnancy losses in between two and three. And then we had a very big surprise. (laughs) And she just turned one. And she has Down syndrome. So a, a COVID surprise. Yes, a COVID surprise all the way around. It was a big surprise.
0: So you have cerebral palsy and Down syndrome in the house. Yes, we do. Z mama. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) When you got the news that she had Down syndrome, were you like, I'm a medical mom already. I've got
1: this. Or what were you feeling? Um, Gosh, where do we even begin with that? Um, I laugh because my motherhood journey had so many ups and downs. And with each pregnancy that happened from the first through, you know, my third surviving child, Mm -hmm. there was so much excitement. (laughs) And then we laugh now. But when I got I took a pregnancy test to find out I was pregnant with Louisa, I just cried for days. Because it was also overwhelming to think that we were having another baby. So there was already that kind of adjustment happening in my mind. And um, the technology was there with my third and fourth children to take the early genetic screening around 12 and 13 weeks. Mm -hmm. With that test, you can find out early, really early, if you're having a boy or girl.
0: Yeah, it's not that whole waiting until 20 weeks for an ultrasound.
1: You can like. You just take a blood test Mm -hmm. and you know so early. And so I was on board with finding that out. And so with my four year old, you know, nothing popped up as any kind of indication of anything going on in the pregnancy. We just found out he was a boy. That Mm -hmm. was pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. And then I took the screening with Louisa and I got a call. And I really, to be honest, was not expecting it. And I should have been expecting it maybe just because I was 42. And um, I just don't know why I wasn't expecting Mm -hmm. the information on the call. The way they deliver these things is really difficult because they tell you the information as if it is the heaviest thing (laughs) that you can possibly imagine, and, you know, Down syndrome is not a life-threatening illness or something. You know, it just seems like maybe this could be something that they deliver in a different way, but it's not. I think that you also need to be able to take the information and, and you know, process it.
0: And be kind of prepared for that phone call. Like you were expecting right. to get a call about the gender and that kind of I just was expecting to it. get a
1: call that I was going to have a boy or a girl and find out some exciting... <laughs> news. And that was probably going to be it. And so they, they told me that there was, you know, like a 98% chance that the baby was going to have down syndrome and it just took my breath away. I wasn't prepared for that at all. So I was sitting there just kind of trying to absorb this information, thinking about, you know, just the reality of it all. And did you have the other three kids whirling around you? They were, yeah, they were somewhere <laughs> in the house. And, um, and honestly it was crazy too, because we had had a phone tag situation and you know that you can never call the provider right back and have somebody right. talk to you right. immediately. It's leaving messages and going back yeah. and forth. So I could tell that something was happening just in the way she was talking to me, um, because I remember her saying something about, are you having a good day? And I said, you know, in a pretty cheerful voice, yes, I'm having a great day. How's your day? How's your day going? And and you could just kind of tell from her voice that this was not a phone call she wanted to be on. And so mm-hmm. she delivered the news, gave me all kinds of resources, and we... um talked for a little bit about tests I could take and things like that. And then at the end of the call, I will always remember this. I said, can you tell me if it's a boy or girl? And she said, are you sure you want to get this information over the telephone? Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I just thought that that was the strangest.
0: What did you say? because I that. have a very wise Alec comment
1: that I would have made to her. Yeah, at well, that I point. just but I at this point, I was so in shock from everything that I had just been told, you know, and I was a little teary too, just you know, all of, of the emotions of the whole thing. But you know, back to your question about whether or not already having that kind of experience. Right, as being a mom of a child with a disability helped her, made it easier. Um, I think, in some ways, that it absolutely does because I was able to. I think, I think a lot of times as moms, when we get a diagnosis, a lot of the negative feelings that we have just come from fear. We just have no idea yeah. what things are going to look like. We don't know what we don't know. Yeah, we just have no idea. So, I think I was able to move through those stages of grief faster in a lot of ways because of that. I I already knew that she was um, a gift and she was going to be a blessing to our family and that there was a purpose for her life and that, you know, she's in addition to our family. So, that made it easier in that sense. But I think one of the things that honestly made me the most nervous was the fact that I already could see. The therapy appointments coming, yeah. and all of the work yeah. that is added to your plate because of disability, and mm-hmm. um, that just makes you nervous. Yeah, you can't just get a babysitter from down the street. Who's Seventeen, you
0: can't have your older children in your case. You right. can't have the older ones watch the younger because the older, you know, you've got disabilities across the board right now. Right, it's not an easy thing to go, okay, well, how do we do this?
1: Yeah. Even in terms of retirement planning and yeah. um, you know, setting up accounts for college savings and all of these types mm-hmm. of things, like every single thing you come across just has extra thought behind it. Mm-hmm. And it can be overwhelming because I don't know about you, but I really didn't grow up knowing people with disabilities or serious medical challenges. And that did me a disservice as a mother. I shared this
0: before, but my phone call for Lorelai when I was pregnant was, it got delayed and delayed. You know, like you said, the phone tag and back and forth. And I remember clear as day, I was in front of the beauty stuff at Target, walking Mm -hmm. through the store and my phone rang and it was them saying, Hey, this is the doctor's office. You know, we just want to let you know that the panel came back and there's nothing abnormal for your daughter. Because again, my kid was so rare that it wouldn't show up on any Mm -hmm. testing. And I remember thinking, okay, great. Like I know you are delayed. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And hung up. And I remember thinking, I didn't expect anything to be wrong. Like God wouldn't give me a disabled child. Mm -hmm. You know, God has watched out for me this far. Like God wouldn't give me that fast forward to being in the hospital. And they were like, something is wrong with your daughter. You know, we, we're seeing brain damage. It could be. And they listed off a few different things. And I just remember laying there crying saying, I don't want a special needs daughter. I don't want to be Mm -hmm. a special needs mom. And now in hindsight like it's humiliating that i said that but i say this often in this podcast because i want moms to know that we've all been there just because yes, we can think, sit here and yeah. be like we've got this now but no one no one is prepared
1: for this news
0: especially no. when you just get a phone call
1: right and i i have thought about this so many times i'm i'm not sure how it can change i think that there are very real Things that we have to process and get through emotionally. We have to go through all those feelings. And unfortunately, there are negative feelings in there that we sometimes do feel ashamed of or regret. And um, it's unfortunate because you don't want your child or anybody else who has a disability to think exactly that what you are saying means that they are worth less than because that's exactly. not true. It's more of a reflection, I think, on the fact that we as a society have not adjusted well to caring well for, for people with disabilities. I mean, we've made a lot of progress. There's no better place in the world to live than the United States when you're talking about these things. Yeah, But we still don't know what to do <laughs> because I remember the first developmental pediatrician appointment I went to with my older daughter. And he said, you know, it's really not that long ago that you would have had this kind of diagnosis and then just automatically institutionalized. Yeah, And that made me just horrified thinking of all the families that have been separated because of the idea that you just can't care for your child Mm -hmm. at home. And that's that's horrifying from both standpoints from the mother and the child. Absolutely. I have my godmother, she's been on the podcast
0: and I'm trying really hard to get her mom who's I think around 90 years old, but her youngest son has Down syndrome. And when mm-hmm. he, I mean, he passed at 50 years old, I think somewhere around there. But when he was born back in the fifties, she was the mom who was like, oh, you're not taking him.
1: And that is so cool. That's just inspirational.
0: And like you said, in that time, it was, okay, you just had a son. He has Down syndrome. We'll take him off your hands. And she was like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, you won't. I so want to get her on the show because I think it would just be such a powerful story of hearing what it was, I almost said 50 years ago, but we just realized that the 80s were 40 years ago. So, you know, (laughs) a little bit further back. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's crazy how the times have changed. And like you said, I'm so mm-hmm. grateful that that medical technology and society is moving in the direction to allow us to keep our complex children at home.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. We just have to also figure out how to, you know, as communities love people well, I think.
0: Yes, absolutely. So you had a bit of a bumpy summer like I did. We did.
1: <laughs> we did. July was the month.
0: July. It was a, mm, no. I wish we could just skip over July, but we can't because that builds us to the people that we are today Uh, or some crappy, crappy (laughs) motto like that. I don't really know, but tell us about your July.
1: So like I said, I had a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome. And once I got that, my high risk OB was really, really diligent at every scan and I had ultrasounds at every single appointment. He was looking for certain things right away. And very early on, he saw what he thought was a heart defect that was characteristic of people who have Down syndrome. And um, so he found this and we monitored it. She was closely monitored after birth and she was doing really, really well. So that was a good thing. We were able to uh, wait till she was bigger.
0: Can I interrupt real quick? I have a a, a question about Down syndrome. Uh-huh. Is it a given that Down syndrome babies would go to the
1: NICU? What's the normal? It's not a given. We mm-hmm. were really hopeful that she wouldn't have to. In her case, because of the heart defect, okay, um, it was leading to her having a tougher time breathing, and it wasn't. She was never in any real critical distress, but she just needed some extra help. So they did take her to the NICU, and she had um, she had some work to do with oxygen, and she had some work to do with feeding to get mm-hmm. out. Um, we were only in the NICU for about two and a half weeks, okay. and compared only to my quote, first, quote, right, my first <laughs> NICU experience was ten weeks, and so okay. in a foreign country, mm-hmm. so when we talk about certain things giving perspective. So wait, so wait,
0: that saying, (laughs) that, that poem, welcome to Holland. You were like, welcome to Germany. They literally dropped you in a foreign country in a NICU with foreign languages. Oh,
1: yes. Yes. We, yes. And boy, we could have a whole episode about what that was like. So, um, So we had been monitoring her heart. She was Mm -hmm. in a really good place. Typically with the type of heart defect she has, they want to operate by six months old. Okay. And they want you to be as close to six months old as possible because they want the heart to be that much bigger to operate on. Right. So we were able to wait because she was in really good shape. So the surgery itself went really well. She Mm -hmm. was having a lot of trouble with sedation. There are a lot of things that I have learned about Down syndrome over the past year that I would have had no clue about before. But apparently people who have Down syndrome have a a tougher time being sedated than the general population. And that was very true of Louisa. So she was having a really tough time resting. And she had the sweetest nurse, I remember, the first night who just stayed up all night patting her. Mm -hmm. to try to get her to rest. And so they were throwing everything at her. They finally got her to um, get into a really good rest period. And then it was time to extubate.
0: Which which is is terrifying.
1: I mean, it's exciting, but it's terrifying. Yeah. But it's, you know, you are happy that it's the next step. You know, that's the next step to going home. That means we're doing well. So the day after her surgery, they extubated And everything was fine. But in order to do that, they have to bring you out of sedation a little. So they worked so hard to bring her into sedation and get her comfortable. Now they have to bring her out so that they can see that she's breathing on her own. Mm -hmm. So they did that. Then we were back to square one. She was just in agony. You could tell. So once again, they started playing this game of trying to get her to rest and I will never forget this because I happened to be standing right at bedside. My husband, poor guy, had just left the room to go eat lunch. So he was out in the hallway eating lunch. And when he left the room, everything was completely fine. And you know how it is in the ICU. You are constantly looking at numbers and yeah. seeing like where things are. Numbers were good. So he left to go have lunch and I was standing right near her bedside and the doctor came and gave her a dose of propofol. You could watch the numbers on her blood pressure and you can see him actually pushing the medication into her IV and he's still pushing it and the numbers are declining. They're just steadily declining. And I remember sitting there thinking, gosh, I wonder when that's going to stop. (laughs) I wonder when the numbers are going to Stop doing that, or at least, you know, go back up. I don't know. Right. And they didn't stop, they just kept crashing. And so it was honestly such a surreal television show moment because I don't remember anyone screaming or sounding some kind of alarm or anything. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The atmosphere was very calm, but all of a sudden, everybody was in our room. with things mm-hmm. like crash carts. It was like the wave of an ocean. I just kind of got not pulled back by anybody. I just kind of knew I needed to work my way to the back of the room yeah, and make way for all the people around. I still really probably don't, I don't even know if I knew what was going on. For
0: moms and listeners who haven't experienced this,
1: because mm-hmm.
0: I've experienced it multiple times with Lorelai,
1: uh-huh.
0: to set the scene, it really, you described it as a wave. For me, it's almost like a big gust of wind just blows in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's a big gust of wind and all these little leaves are flying everywhere and they're landing right. exactly where they're supposed to be. And yes. they just settle and they get to work very quickly. And then mm-hmm. it's like this calm, clear, you could hear a pin drop as
1: they're trying yes. to resuscitate. It was very a, quiet. Yeah.
0: And as a mom, and now, what are you feeling in that moment?
1: I, I remember just standing there, not making any noise, but with my hands over my face. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the realization of, you know, this is actually happening to your child is going on. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I just had no, you know, I had no perspective for this. Like, I just didn't know what I should be doing. You know, like, do I say something? Do I, you know, I don't know. Finally, somebody did notice me there. And it was just like a TV show. They, they took me out of the room. You need to come out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so my poor husband. Oh gosh, is halfway through a sandwich. in the hallway eating his lunch. <laughs> and what he says happened out there is that you, you know, you do hear alarms mm-hmm. going off and people rushing in. He said that he looked up and made eye contact with you know, somebody working the desk or a nurse or somebody. And they had actually looked at him and said, oh, don't worry, it's not you or something like that. Oh, gosh. And so he saw me come out in the state I was in, which Mm -hmm. was at that point, very upset. You know, it was just one of those moments where, you know, you could see his (laughs) horror because he had left the room and everything was fine, probably five minutes before. Mm Mm-hmm. Just so
0: I can visualize compared to my yeah, sure. my experience with this. So when I stepped out of the room, I was literally standing. Our our PICU glass doors slide open and everybody can come running in. And I was standing just outside of the glass door of her her exact mm-hmm. room. I didn't go out to the waiting room or anything. Do they make you go out? Yeah, they,
1: they made me go out of um, the hole. Oh, I would have thrown up. And our room was the first one. So it okay. wasn't... That far, but we had to completely yeah. leave the ICU yeah. in order to do things like eat or whatever, and that's where mm-hmm. they took me. They just got me out of there, and okay. then it was just really interesting because there was just really no nowhere to to be in this mm-hmm. chaotic yeah. moment, and so they they cleared out a staff room that was just to the side, and they um, they let us kind of take over this staff room, which is surprising because you would think that this would happen more often <laughs> that there would be yeah. like a dedicated space for this. And I don't, I don't know if it does or doesn't, but
0: our hospital does. I wonder if somebody was already in the quiet room and they had to put you somewhere maybe. else, like oh, maybe it was possible. already busy and they had to put you, they were like, find a place for them because they, I can't imagine you sitting in the waiting room.
1: Right. This wasn't even, so so our hospital has a dedicated ICU just for the heart patients. Uh-huh. And um, so this wasn't even like the general mm-hmm. <laughs> pick you. So you would think yeah. that there would be some place, but there just wasn't. There was, you know, and I don't know also if maybe it was a COVID related thing. Maybe.
0: As you're sitting in there, we have been forgotten in quiet rooms so many times. And you feel like it's an eternity that you're in there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's five minutes or 500 minutes. You're sitting there going, Mm -hmm. what is going on
1: with my kid? What is going on with my kid? We were fortunate in so many ways. I mean, we're very spiritual people and um, we can see the hand of God in this whole entire thing. Just the fact that my husband and I were both (laughs) at the hospital was a blessing in itself The fact that it was daytime, even, you know, opposed to nighttime, Mm -hmm. our heart surgeon was already there and he wasn't in another surgery. So he was able to get to her bedside immediately. Yeah. Our hospital just has um, a very well-respected heart surgeon. And he, I think, has just a great program. And he has surrounded himself with just an impeccable team of people. Mm -hmm. And so they were just right with me yep. <laughs> and my husband as much or as little as we wanted while we were trying to figure out what was going on. So the surgeons came right to her. The dedicated anesthesiologist for heart surgery came right to her. They made the decision to go ahead and open her back up and put her on bypass and just give her heart uh, a rest. Um, and you know, so that, that was, just a crazy time, but they were right there to walk us through the expectations to, uh, to be with us and to be, just be really caring. And at what point did they figure out that she had the reaction to provoval? You know, that was something that has actually taken a really long time to assess. Um, mm-hmm. They at first thought that potentially the hypertension she had because of her heart defects
0: mm-hmm.
1: was much worse than what they were able to see in testing, and um, and so the other thing that I have really appreciated about her whole cardiology team, um, not just her surgeon, but just all of the cardiologists that we have at the hospital, they I guess had a meeting where they sat down and pulled all the data of her from her um, from the machines, mm-hmm. and they sat down as a team and went over everything. Figure, and, out exactly and, and,
0: right, <clears throat> figure out
1: exactly when it happened. and Right. Figure out exactly when it happened. And so they've made that determination that they're pretty sure it was the propofol and not actually a worse heart condition.
0: As all of this is going on, you have experience as a medical mom. But you haven't, yes. correct me if I'm wrong, you haven't had like life threatening, like my
1: no. child is crashing. So this was all new for you. No. Yes, this was. Now my my other daughter had had two really big ortho surgeries. Okay. So surgery itself was not new to us. It
0: never it but doesn't yeah. matter what the surgery is though. It never gets easier handing your children no. to the no. surgical team. That is no. one of the Here. hardest things. Yeah. Take the love of my life in your hands right. and her stuffed right. pig. And they
1: do, they just take little children into their arms and carry them mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. away and it is very strange that is one of the hardest parts of medical motherhood for me and then they tell you well go get some coffee
0: yeah like you can just (laughs) go hang out and yeah
1: go get some breakfast my husband and I were joking um while we were waiting during this most recent surgery that was the only date that we'd had all year
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know your your medical parents when your date is sitting in the (laughs) OR waiting room (laughs)
1: We had somebody, it was really sweet. My sister-in-law door dashed us lunch as a little surprise to Mm -hmm. the hospital. And, you know, it was kind of a strange thing to see this door dash person come with food to the waiting room. And so we're sitting there eating and that's what, that's, you know, our realization. Like, is this the only date that (laughs) we, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) is this the only meal we've had without kids this year? Oh my goodness.
0: (laughs) Since both of us have been through this kind of trauma, what have you done with this bucket of trauma? I don't know what to do with it. I mean, I am in therapy. Uh And in my case, Lorelai's last hospitalization in July was her last hospitalization. And um, we had the same kind of crashing. We had like, I Mm -hmm. literally had her head in my hands at the head of the bed as they were trying to save her life. And, um, for me, I'm struggling because all of that trauma was like packaged up in a cute little box and Mm -hmm. the grief came in. Right. How do we all keep going? Your daughter got better. You went home, you have Mm -hmm. four children. We don't have time to process that trauma that you just faced. Right. Right. Have you processed any bit of it or is is that what we're doing today?
1: (laughs) I think we are doing that today in a large, I mean, you do have to talk about it. I remember in that space, in that borrowed staff waiting area, the nurse practitioner assigned to our surgeon was sitting with me and she, you know, nothing had even been decided yet. We didn't really know how she was doing. Mm -hmm. We didn't know that she was going to have to go on bypass. yet We we knew absolutely nothing. And she looked at me and she said, you are going to have <laughs> PTSD from this. I mean, nothing yeah. had even really completely been resolved yet. She said, mm-hmm. you are going to have PTSD from this. And she said, you have to feel all the emotions right now. <laughs> yep. And for the next, like the whole time you are in this hospital and for All the time you need to when you go home because you cannot leave any of that here. You have to just use it.
0: How beautiful of her to say that because it's almost like she was giving you permission to feel that. Right.
1: You can't not think about this. You can't try to compartmentalize it or just, you know, blow past it. You have to feel it.
0: I've had to compartmentalize to keep going. Right. I think that's what we all tend to do because survival exactly but that's absolutely beautiful of her to say that because it almost gives you permission to feel the feels and yes like we said before you don't know what you're doing this isn't frequent stuff we don't often watch our children get bagged but to have that happen and then her say here's here's the support i'm gonna tell you you need right now is just yes kind and beautiful
1: yeah, it really was. It, she, And she is somebody who has continued to reach out to me over text. And like I said, our surgeon has surrounded himself with a really good team. Um, awesome. We couldn't have been in better hands. I just think for me, being grateful every day for the monotonous times, for the, the tough times, for the good times. Mm-hmm. I think in a way you have to, just like you have to feel those feelings That are going to come because of PTSD. You have to give your yourself space to have perspective, because like like you said, you didn't get to bring your daughter home. Yeah, and and (laughs) just by the grace of God, we did. Mm -hmm. It was you know so perspective is is important. Mm -hmm. And she's
0: doing fine now, right? Is she recovered? And
1: mm -hmm. she is. We had um miraculously 3 days after she was put on bypass she was taken off that's incredible <laughs> yes and and um we couldn't have asked for a better outcome her heart is healed that's awesome and um so yeah we just and she just turned 1 she just turned 1 it was so funny because uh, you know one of my good friends has 4 children and we were laughing about how by the time you have 4 children you kind of don't feel like <laughs> doing very much for birthdays, but you do anyway. (laughs) And so we were joking (laughs) about the fact that, well, you know, they don't remember their first birthday. You do the bare minimum. Um, It's just, it's just a way to celebrate, you know, hey, they made it to one. And I started laughing and then I had to stop, (laughs) but she made it to one. I mean, this is pretty exciting.
0: Is your your friend who's probably listening, is she a medical mom also, or does she have all typical children? No, she's not. She's not. Okay. Typical because this, is, yeah. as you're saying this, I'm immediately going, you survived. Like, you I literally, know. everybody survived.
1: Yeah. Yes, we all made it <laughs> through this first year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I so, mean, it's not not anything shabby. No.
0: it. You know, it wasn't until I became a mom that – I am birthday bougie. I love birthdays and it is like, I just, I love it. And once I had children, I was like, you know what? The mom is the one who deserves the party. I mean, sure. The kid lived another year. I say that lightly because dark humor. If I didn't have dark humor, I wouldn't have any humor, but you know, I feel like the mom deserves the party. So I decided this year, yes, Lorelai is getting a birthday
1: party. <laughs> that is amazing. I what am going to celebrate
0: idea. the heck out of her and me for her yes. birthday. Yes,
1: and you absolutely should. I, you can't I, let that day go by. No, I,
0: I've struggled with what I was going to do, and you'll appreciate this. I decided that um, for her birthday, I try to do something all of her life, Neither of my children will be able to like go out to the world and be kind and teach people stuff directly. Mm. They need me and my voice, which is why we are here. And so Mm -hmm. for Lorelai, she would be turning six this February. And so we are giving six fully loaded hospital bags to moms. It is like I have duffel bags with blankets, with cell phone chargers, with Starbucks, with chapstick and dry hair shampoo because that's what we all really need. So we're giving six hospital bags to, um, the pain and palliative care department and they're going to give them to moms who need them. That is
1: so great. Yes. Because like, it's the trauma. You're the mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you're the mom in the hospital and these thoughtful things come Mm -hmm. to you, Mm -hmm. it is such a blessing. It really is. Like No one can explain how a a coffee gift card to the the cafeteria in Mm -hmm. the hospital. Well and (laughs) especially
0: if you come in through the ED. And most of the time when you come in through the ED, you You don't have anything. (laughs) Right. My favorite was when we went in in um, Easter dresses. <laughs> that was one oh of the most awkward ICU stays because I was in my Easter dress for two days. They're like, you are oh very
1: well-dressed for this stay. I was like, I know, didn't plan to be here. <laughs> oh, but it's just – it's, it's, it really is a gift to be given these things to kind of treat yourself in the hospital. Actually, the same friend I have – who um, has the four kids and was talking to me about the birthday. Her husband um, is a doctor at the same hospital that we were at. And so they, uh, with some other friends from our church, got together and did put together this huge snack crate. And we just loved it from room to room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it lasted the whole time. And it was just so nice to have yeah. these gift cards to go get down and get coffee and snacks and magazines and just things to be more comfortable.
0: Yep. You just have to be as comfortable as possible to keep going. Yes. Because um, you're not getting sleep. No, you're not. Nobody goes to the <laughs> pick you for some sleep. Nobody's like, I need a good ICU stay because I am
1: tired. Ugh. No, no. Ugh. It's like you go there if you want to train how to be tortured. <laughs> Well, as soon as he, you fall asleep, somebody comes in for a blood draw.
0: Yes. I think, <laughs> did I tell you this before that the the best night's sleep <laughs> I had in the PICU was the night before she passed, they were doing an x-ray of her, her chest and it was like the second or third x-ray because her lungs were just progressively getting worse all of a sudden. And at one point I was like, I just have to close my eyes. And I remember hearing the x-ray tech come in and go, mom, are you? Are, is there a chance you're pregnant? And I was like, no. And then I just remember them putting that weighted lead blanket of whatever yes. all over me. And I just remember sleeping under this weighted weighted lead vest thing. And it was the best 10 minutes of sleep in the ICU I have ever had. The next yes, morning I was like, I bet. did somebody come in and put a weighted blanket on me? They're like, yeah, you were out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was.
0: <laughs> they need to they no, need to give I, I, lead vest to everybody.
1: <laughs> they do. We we started, my husband and I were taking turns sleeping at the hospital. And you know, there's the point of the ICU stay where you know things are going to maybe be okay. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a shot at us going home soon. And so then it all becomes so exhausting because you just think, okay. Now we really just need to go home and be able to sleep in our beds and use our own shower, you know, all that stuff. And um, we started telling each other on the phone when we were about to switch, like who is going to be on shift tonight. Mm -hmm. And then we would know this Mm -hmm. nurse is really, really good about not having to take the vitals all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to get good sleep or this nurse is going to be on and she's a real stickler for the every three hour vitals.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. The the things we learn, right? Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> well, meanwhile, all of this yes. is going on. You still have mm-hmm. a family at home. You have a disabled we child do. at home. You mm-hmm. have two typical kids at home who are probably running around crazy going, where's mom and dad? Yeah. And what about my little sister? Mm-hmm. Yes. How are you managing all of this?
1: Do you have help where you are? Um, To be honest with you, we are in a period of time right now where we really don't have a lot of help. My husband is in the Air Force, and we are stationed in Oklahoma. We are not stationed by family who can come help Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, And we had a really great thing going with some respite care we've lived here for about four years now. And and most of the time we've lived here, we had a really good thing going for all kinds of reasons, including COVID things have kind of, you know, our respite care providers have both decided to leave respite care. And so, um, so yeah, we're just kind of out of luck and it's stressful. It's stressful. There are so many puzzle pieces. And like we were saying before COVID With both the NICU stay last year and the heart surgery, that extra puzzle piece was just insanity. Trying to fit all of it into some like Mm stress-free situation that we could Mm -hmm. manage. It was, I mean, really, truly every day was just a really difficult realization of what we needed to do together the day. Mm -hmm. We have had to, with these hospital stays this year, really take turns a whole lot yeah. just my husband and I and that's why I said it was just really the hand of god that he was able to be there the day that
0: mm-hmm.
1: our daughter coded because really for much of that time we were just taking turns and we would load up everybody in the van yeah drive and just high five each other in the parking lot <laughs> that's what i was wondering if you left
0: everybody at home somehow or when we traded places this past summer I'm grateful because my mom could often come up, but Mm -hmm. once Laurel, I started crashing in the middle of the night, it was like, okay, divide and conquer. And then, yeah, Mm -hmm. you literally, he would drive the van up. I'd, Benji would be in the back. I'd get in the van. He'd go upstairs and then I'd drive the van back. And, like, yes, I can't imagine doing that
1: with a, all your children. Yes, it was hard. You know, we've been so blessed in the past because my mother is the kind of grandma who is on it. Like, she is mm-hmm. there to help take care of you and, like, really for the long haul. When my older daughter was born in a foreign country
0: mm-hmm.
1: with a long NICU stay, My mom was able to wrap up all of her affairs in Virginia, get on a plane. She got there the day before she was delivered and she stayed with us for three months to take care of my son. And my husband left on a deployment halfway Mm -hmm. through that. Mm -hmm. And um, there are so many situations where we just would not have been able to do any of this without my mother. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's just such a good example for what life can look like as a grandmother being that much of a servant to your family. I mean, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have been able to do it, but my dad has ALS. And so now she's caregiving for him she's caregiving for him and cannot leave. And she and my dad both have always been such champions of my family. Mm -hmm. It was just a really bizarre time because we were stationed just, I mean, we lived 10 minutes up the road from Mm them, the last assignment we had. And so, you know, my parents did an awful lot for our family as we were, we had moved back to the United States and we were just wrapping our minds around this whole, you know, living with a child who had CP and all the needs that she had. Right. So they were able to just give and give to us. And we decided to go ahead and and proceed with the move to Oklahoma. And right after we moved, we found out my dad had ALS. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a weird period of time. And, um, you know, my mom is a caregiver for him. So mm-hmm. the person who has always done the most to help us now can't. Right. And you don't have so, the bandwidth to help her either. Right. And th- this is what we mm-hmm. talk about all the time is, mm-hmm. you know, I wish I were there for you and she wishes she could help me. And mm-hmm. there's just, it's just not possible. And that, you know, we actually just got to go visit them over um, Thanksgiving for the first time, because as soon as we got clearance from cardiology, (laughs) that Louisa was okay to travel. Right. We hit the road. So fortunate we got to, that we got to introduce him to my dad, to the baby. I mean, Mm -hmm. we didn't know if that would ever be possible, but for a long time, it was just this big barrier. You know, we just cannot go see them and Mm -hmm. they could not come see us and- and so it is hard. You seem
0: to have such a positive attitude and such a strong faith. And I'm sure that is what is helping right now. It's
1: very much helping. Yeah.
0: You could absolutely go into this and go, I don't have support. I'm so far from people I know. I have two disabled children. But you seem to be turning, you're looking up, you're finding the positives, and you're continuing to move forward. And I applaud you for that because you're doing a great job.
1: Mm. Well, thanks. I you know, I will even say though that when you face things that are of this magnitude and my dad is an amazing example of this because he alf- also is somebody with very deep faith even <laughs> when you have that mm-hmm. and you know that this is all for a very good purpose. It is still a load to bear. Absolutely. It really is still. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, you can't minimize how hard Yeah. you can have the most faith ever, a real gift of faith, and can still have such low days. Mm-hmm.
0: I think you're doing a good job. And well, I thanks. think that... I think that... <laughs> we're making it day by day. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we're surviving. I mean, <laughs> for the most part. Yes. We could all sit here and go this isn't fair. This isn't, I mean, and Mm -mm. we have all said that it points in this journey. This isn't fair. Of
1: course. Why, why me? Why,
0: (laughs) why us? Why me? Why do I have two disabled children with terminal disease? Like it's the, the, what the, what we do with it, Mm -hmm. I think. And you are doing good things with what you have done and you're giving so much to your children. I think honestly, the thing
1: that faith does is it reveals the purpose behind it. It is not that you depend on God and things are going to be okay. There is a promise <laughs> yep. that things are in fact not going to be okay. But if you really truly keep your eyes on God and his plans, you're going to see that it's all for his good mm-hmm. and all for your good. Yep. And you just have to wake up every day with that realization That This this is not my definition of good all the time, but this is God's definition of good. And I have to trust that that's way better than mine.
0: Mm -hmm. It helps me too to remember that when I'm weeping, God is weeping. When I'm having bad days, God sees it and he knows. And I often see myself and go, I love my kids more than anybody else in this world could love my Mm -hmm. kids. And then I step back and go, well, God and the universe feel that way about me. God sees me going through this and he, she, whatever the listeners believe in, like (laughs) there is a higher power that is rooting for us and loves us so much that what we see our kids going through is what they see us going through. And, you know, we, we just have to cling to the, his plan is so much greater than what we can imagine because. And
1: that he, he made each one of these children in his image, they are image bearers of him. Mm -hmm. And he has a reason that they are in this world or that they Mm -hmm. have been in this world Mm -hmm. to tell part of his story. It's a good testimony to goodness.
0: Yeah. I I've had people ask me, how do you believe in God? How do you believe in good when your kids have been given the lives they've been given? And Mm -hmm. I've been asked that a lot actually. And it's a, it's kind of a very shocking question to me. Like Pretty ballsy to ask someone that.
1: Yeah, it's probably along the same lines of I don't know if I could do what you do. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. I mean, I I don't really know either. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: I mean, and that's I always look back at them, and by now you realize that I am very snarky, and I look at them and I go, "Well, have you seen her hair? <laughs> have you seen how incredible? Like." God exists and he made Lorelai's hair. (laughs) There's so many blessings in this crazy journey Mm -hmm. we have landed in. And even two moms sitting here who have seen their kids code can sit here and say, life is still beautiful.
1: Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: In case you couldn't tell... Meredith and I kind of hit it off, and Meredith, I don't know if you know this, but I'm gonna declare us as new besties. And, you know, we went to the same school, and we both have multiple disabled children. I'm pretty sure this was just a match made in heaven. And we could have talked for hours. Actually, y'all, we we did talk for hours. We talked for a minimum of two hours, which is why this is part one of Meredith's episode. Next week, Meredith is telling us about how not only is she a mom of four children, two of which have disabilities, but she is homeschooling them also. As a mom who is facing the public school journey, it was really interesting to me to get kind of her insight on what it looks like to homeschool all of her children who all have very different needs. Don't forget, if you're new here, we are so glad you're here. We would love it and appreciate it if you liked this episode and you shared it. And you, if you really, really like it and you really like us, go ahead and put a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or one of those platforms. Because that helps other moms and the people who love them find our podcast. If you are not part of the When Autumn Comes Society yet on Facebook, hop on over there and type in When Autumn Comes Society into the Facebook search bar and you will find our little group. It is open to moms, dads, caregivers, nurses, godmothers, aunts, uncles, my dog is not in there, but everybody else is. So Go and join us. We have, you know, little questions of the week and we chit-chat about random things and we'd love to have you. It's a very supportive group. So I guess I should wrap this up by saying, this is Susan and I am going to go, well, it's about 8 p.m. So I'm going to go make Benji's food and meds for the night. And oh, I have to draw meds for the week. Guys, it's going to be a long night. We will catch you next week. Have a good one.